0: Loving Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory, and we worship you for your goodness and your mercy and love which you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us life. We are not worthy partakers of this life, but in your love and faithfulness and goodness, you have given us this great gift. We pray, Father, that we shall use our lives to bring glory, honor, and adoration to your name. For that purpose, Lord, we come to fellowship with you today and we ask, Lord, that you would equip us with your word, that you would strengthen us and build us up, that we may be fashioned to your glory. Help us, Lord, and cut off the dross from our lives. Purify us with your word. Sanctify us with your word, I pray. Therefore, put your words in my mouth and grant every one of us who are listening of your Holy Spirit, that we may Descend spiritual things. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 2 Saul could not but feel that his son was preferred before him, both by the people and by the Lord. Jonathan's deliverance was a severe reproof to the king's rashness. He felt a presentiment that his curses were would return upon his own head. He did not longer continue the war with the Philistines but returned to his home, moody and dissatisfied. Those who are most ready to excuse or justify themselves in sin are often most severe in judging and condemning others. Many, like Saul, bring upon themselves the displeasure of God, but they reject and despise reproof. Even when convinced that the Lord is not with them, they refuse to see in themselves the cause of their trouble. They cherish a proud, boastful spirit, while they indulge in cruel judgment or severe rebuke of others who are better than they. Often those who are seeking to exalt themselves are brought into positions where their true character is revealed. So it was in the case of Saul. His own course convinced the people that kingly honor and authority were dearer to him than justice, mercy, or benevolence. Thus, the people were led to see their error in rejecting the government that God had given them. They had exchanged the pious prophet, whose prayers had brought down blessings for a king who, in his blind zeal, had prayed for a curse upon them. Had not the men of Israel interposed to save the life of Jonathan, their deliverer would have perished by the king's decree. With what misgivings must the people afterward have followed Saul's guidance? How bitter the thought that he had been placed upon the throne by their own act! The Lord bears long with the waywardness of men, and to all he grants opportunity to see and forsake their sins. But while he may seem to prosper, those who disregard his will and despise his warnings, he will, in his own time, surely make manifest their folly. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is It Works Two Ways. Our key text is taken from the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, which says, With what judgment ye judge? Ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Saul was willing to destroy his son for disobeying his command. Now, did his son actually disobey his command? No, he didn't because his son was not given any command to disobey. Jonathan was not there when the command was given. He was away from them. It was when he came to meet the people and he had already eaten of the honey that he saw. Then the people told him, Your father charged us not to eat. So Jonathan was not guilty by any means. When the Lord refused to answer Saul, when the priest came to meet him, he wanted to go and destroy the Philistines. And the priest came and met him and said to him, Why don't we pray first? Why don't we inquire of the Lord? And then Saul decided to inquire. That is in the book of first samuel chapter 14 verse 36 it says and saul said let us go down after the philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them and they said do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee then said the priest let us draw hither unto god and saul asked counsel of god shall i go down after the philistines will thou deliver them into the hand of israel but he answered him not that day. Because the Lord did not answer Saul, he was trying to find faults elsewhere apart from himself. Why was it that God did not answer Saul? Was it because someone really ate among them in the camp? Did he think that God respected that his oath where he said that anybody who eats among them, that the person would be cursed? Why was he associating the fact that the Lord did not answer him with the fact that somebody ate It was not so because Jonathan was not giving the command. He He and his armor bearer had already gone out when that law was given that no one should eat. So it was not any disobedience on Jonathan's path that led him to eat the honey. But even though Saul knew that, he found out wanting to put the blame on Jonathan for why the Lord was not listening to him. Do you see how Saul is behaving? First of all, Samuel has told him that he is the one at fault. The Lord had also rebuked him by using Jonathan to bring the deliverance instead of himself. There was no respect for him anymore. That's what he felt anyway. Because the people still respected him. But they could tell already that Saul is not the man, that he had already made a mistake in selecting him as king. In all that they wanted Saul to do as a king, because the purpose of selecting him as king was to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I'll repeat that for us. When he met um, Samuel in the book of 1st Samuel chapter 10. The words of Samuel to him was this in verse 5. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tablet and a pipe and a harp before them. And they shall prophesy, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. This was the purpose, the single purpose, that Saul was brought as king deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines and the Lord worked that deliverance neglecting Saul. It was to Saul like a blow. It was a disregard. He felt left out. He knew like we read that Saul could not but feel that his son was preferred before him both by the people and by the Lord. But what did Saul want to do to Jonathan now who was an innocent person He wanted to kill him for disobeying. With what judgment you meet, it shall be meted unto you. While it is true that Jonathan was innocent, but it has shown now what Saul believed is the punishment for a disobedient person. His own law was disobeyed and he wanted to kill his son for disobeying. Therefore, he was justifying the fact that he also is supposed to be killed for disobeying the Lord. The Lord did not smite him when he took that sacrifice and offered it. Like he said, he forced himself, going away from principle and, and claiming that emergency was, the, uh, what, what, was what justified it, was what necessitated his disobedience. Here also, he thought that Jonathan disobeyed, but Jonathan did not. But at least we can see his judgment on a disobedient person. His judgment on a disobedient person was that he said, that Jonathan must die therefore he was bringing judgment upon himself that he also must die but when the people swore and said not one hair from Jonathan's head was going to touch that ground he saw that there was an opposition against him the people were against him God was against him but will Saul repent what a character the pride in Saul was so deep that even when he knew Samuel was against him The Lord was against him. The people were against him. Yet, Saul will not say, I am sorry. Are you among those who find it hard to say, I am sorry? When you see that you are having a discussion with someone, even maybe an argument, and finally, it is clear that you are in error, are you the type who finds it hard to say, Oh, sorry, I now see that I was wrong? Or are you the type who likes to maintain your view even when you have been exposed to be wrong? Are you the type who finds it hard to admit that you did a wrong thing and that your view was wrong or a decision you made was wrong just because you don't want to appear defeated before the person who you are discussing with? If you are like that, you don't know what you are of. There is more hope for an adulterer, for a fornicator, for the harlots and publicans than for yourself because that is what Jesus said about the Pharisees because it was the same spirit the Pharisees had over and over the Pharisees will come to Jesus and they will be rebuked for their wrong spirit but they will never publicly admit that they were wrong instead they will be looking for more occasions to find fault with Jesus Jesus told them woe to you Pharisees the harlots and publicans do make it to the kingdom of God before you this is the same spirit that was in Saul that was in the Pharisees, the spirit of self-exaltation, the spirit of envy, the spirit of competition, the spirit of jealousy that was what was in Saul so that when he was exposed and it was clear that he was in the wrong on all angles, the people with God, with Samuel, yet Saul instead of admitting his wrong will maintain his ground and just go away in pride. You know, children have that attitude sometimes, not all of them anyway, where they have this argument and when it is seen that one of them is wrong, that person will want to find another fault in that person and say, at least you two, you were wrong here or you were wrong there. That spirit is this spirit of Saul and it's something that we need to take away from us today. The Lord wants to take it away from us. Now that it has been identified, it is a bad one. The only thing is just that, you know, some of us we have so bad characters, but these bad characters will not show until we are given a high position. Saul, if he was just, like I said, taking care of his father's asses, we will never know he had this bad character. And even if he did have it, it will never show itself on such a wide stage and have such huge impact. The the, the greater the stage you are placed, the greater the influence you will have, either for good or for evil. The bad character of Saul now is placed on a wider stage. And in a wide stage, it was going to have a very bad influence to the point that he wanted to kill his own son were it not that the people stood for Jonathan. Like we read in our devotion, those who are most ready to excuse or justify themselves in sin are often most severe in judging and condemning others. Many, like Saul, bring upon themselves the displeasure of God, but they reject counsel and despise reproof. Even when convinced that the Lord is not with them, they refuse to see in themselves the cause of their trouble. They cherish a proud, boastful spirit while they indulge in cruel judgment or severe rebuke of others who are better than they. Well would it be for self for such self-constituted judges to ponder those words of Christ, with what judgment ye meet, ye judge ye shall be judged, and with what measure. You meet; it shall be measured to you again. Matthew chapter seven, verse two. So we need to understand the character in ourselves and ensure that we, we 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 just take it away from us, because this is the same spirit that was in Saul and that was in Satan when Satan was reproved for his sin in heaven. He will not allow himself to agree he was wrong because to hum- to say you were wrong is to humble yourself and to admit that somebody else is superior to yourself. Saul here was trying to shift blame. Later on, when he would inquire of the Lord after he committed even greater sins than this, the Lord would not also answer him. Who was there to blame now? Nobody to blame. Here he was trying to blame his son Jonathan as if it was because of Jonathan that the Lord did not answer him. It was not because of Jonathan that God did not answer him it was because of his own disobedience he refused to see the fault in himself and this is another lesson today do we see the fault in ourselves when we go wrong or do we want to shift blame to others when we have made wrong decisions perhaps you have married the wrong person and things are going wrong are you shifting the blame somewhere else or in whatever situation you find yourself maybe you find yourself in a situation where you lost your job for one reason or the other, or you are studying the cause that you feel that you should have been studying something better. Do you shift blame and say, Oh, it is this person that is the at fault in what I am suffering right now? Do you see the blame in yourself? Today, many Christians will do that while they have disobeyed God in health reform, eating the wrong way, living a bad lifestyle, even when they have been told clearly that the Lord has given us intelligence. For us to understand that when you eat the animal based diet especially today that it is filled with diseases and it will cause harm to the body they will keep on doing it and then they get high blood pressure they get diabetes stroke heart diseases of all kinds cancer And instead of finding the blame in themselves, they start to weep like righteous people, saying that, oh, somebody has done this to me. It is spiritual. That saying it is spiritual is just a way of justifying yourself and exonerating yourself as if you are pure in heart, as if in your own hands there can be found a fault why you are passing through what you are passing through. Did the Lord not say in the book of Deuteronomy 28 that if we disobey him, that he will bring curses upon us, why do we want to find it elsewhere that is the devil, is this person, is that person that's cursing, that's cursing me? I, to me, I feel that there is no other evidence of self-justification and self-righteousness than to pass through a trouble and you refuse to see the, sol- the, the problem in yourself. Many times, I'm not saying that all the time they can, that is the case, there are times when maybe someone else who is causing our trouble. I need to be clear that it is someone. You will see the evidence, it needs to be clear. But many times, people cannot see it, yet they believe it, that it is someone who caused their problem, claiming in superstition that it is a spiritual disease, it is a spiritual sickness and that where they can't find anyone to lay the blame on, yet they will now jump into superstition and say it is this person. If it is someone that did it, we will see. But we shift the blame away, just like King Saul, even though we know that we have been disobedient some have been in adultery some have been fornicating and then they fall into diseases and then they will say somebody that sent it some will like i said not sleep well not eat well and yet they will say somebody sent my sickness to me you will not behave well in your office and do the right thing you won't be courteous you won't be polite and you'll say somebody else is at fault within your friends you won't act kindly you won't speak well you won't follow the rules of courtesy and then when the friendship is um, the, the relationship is now sour you'll say oh it is the person that is at fault when you didn't do the right thing let us learn to find the problem in ourselves when we do wrong And not shift blame to others. And the other thing, self-ambition, envy, jealousy. We cannot stop talking about it. And we will still keep talking about it as we go on. You know why? Because that is the sin that is the most satanic trait. We have seen that before. The cruelest of sins is envy. That is where we find it. it. In commandment 10, such a neglected commandment. Who talks about it? The 10th commandment that says, thou shalt not covet. In that command, we are we are told to avoid things like envy, jealousy, the competitive spirit. That was what Saul had, the competitive spirit, which looks towards self-ambition. Self-ambition, envy and jealousy is such a bad trait. The self-ambitious part of Saul could not be content with knowing that God wrought a victory in Israel except that victory was wrought through himself. He went home sad that day, even though it was his son that wrought the victory. Saul could not take pride in that. It had to be him and if it is not him, he cannot be happy. Some of us don't even understand envy, what it is. We see it in ourselves but we don't know that it's envy. We indulge it very much. We justify it. We exhibit it publicly without even knowing that it's envy. Let me explain and I will talk about this envy even furthermore in King Saul's life and many other times because we cannot talk about it too much. It is something that is in all of us and to a more or less degree in many people. For some it is very strong, for some it is little, but it must be taken away completely from, from us. So What is this envy? Do you see yourself feeling this strong in- inclination to look in dissatisfaction on the happiness of others or on their prosperity? That is envy. When you desire to make what the person possesses your own, maybe you see that this person has whatever ability and in your heart you are feeling I wish it was me that had this ability and you don't feel good about it when other people are displaying that particular ability or just doing what they can do and you are not just happy my brothers and sisters don't deceive yourself you are being envious if you cannot be happy for another person's happiness you are being envious you are jealous or if you see yourself trying to deprive them of that that happiness, either by detraction or by fraud or by robbery. That is what envy is. When you see yourself making derogatory or malicious statements or disparaging somebody else, misrepresenting the person, slandering the person because of something they have, that is envy. It is this feeling of envy that leads people to, like I said just now, misrepresent. They go into false accusations or bring charges to tarnish another person's reputation. They make falsifications, disparage, discredit another person. All these things are shown in envy. It is it that leads to contention, war, strong worldly ambition which makes us anxious to surpass others. That is the competition now. We become very hostile to the humble and contented spirit of religion. Are you pained when others are more prosperous than you? You are being envious. Do you desire to possess what they have? You are being envious. Even though you see you have no right to it and yet you are thinking it should be yours. That is envy. And then it leads... The thing is that it's, it's in the mind. But then it shows in the action through, through those things that I have just said before. Through misrepresentation, falsification, tarnishing people's image, depriving them of their happiness by detraction or just uh, bringing scandals against them, those things are just shown through the spirit of envy. Why do we do that? Because we want to lessen their enjoyment or we want to obtain what they have for ourselves. Or another way people show envy is when they see somebody who has something, they will want to show that that thing the person has is not as much as is really what people are saying. He's not as good as you think. She's not as beautiful as you think. He's not as fine as you think, you know. He's not as intelligent as you think. When you see yourself trying to reduce someone's ability, that is envy. And the purpose of envy, to bring somebody down, will be accomplished when we obtain more than what they have or if we can diminish what they actually possess. Or if by our words and by our statements, we can give uh, an impression to people that... These people don't actually have as much as you think they have so that we can reduce the person's happiness and honor that is what the spirit of envy does because it is gratified by doing this and that is what was in saul he wanted to gratify himself by reducing whatever jonathan had accomplished that day or what the lord had accomplished through jonathan as far as it was not him He's going to make it look as if it was not any big deal. And how did he, did he rejoice that day? Did he make any great uh, celebration? No. The Bible says that he went home quietly. We are going to see in our subsequent devotion what he did when he himself was the one. Oh, we can't even, not, You don't even need to go to subsequent devotion. Previously, When Saul conquered the Ammonites, what happened? They went to Gilgal, and there was a rejoicing, and everybody was happy, and there was was so much merry in that day, and everybody crowned him king again. Now, the deliverance was wrought through Jonathan. What did Saul do? He acted as if nothing happened. He went home quietly. There was no noise, no rejoicing, because it was not through him that the victory was wrought. I cannot start explaining in every detail how this is shown in our lives, but it is there. Where you feel that it is as far as it was not true you, this thing was done. There is no need to make a noise ab- about it. But when it is, uh, it is yourself that does something, you make a noise about it. Let us be careful of the spirit of envy. But what is the cure for envy and covetousness? The cure for, for envy and covetousness is love. Had Saul loved the people more than himself, he would have been pleased to know that they were delivered and not consent to know by whom the deliverance came and seeking his own glory. He could not rejoice in another man's victory as far as the victory was not from him. He loved to dominate anywhere he was and where he is not dominant, he feels insecure. He therefore judged harshly those who did anything to cross his path, even his own son. But but this judgment that he did was was not on one who deserved it. He was the one who deserved it more. Israel themselves, they were led to see their folly in choosing themselves a king. They had a king, yet they were fleeing from the Philistines. They had a king, yet their king was powerless to deliver them because he would do things in his own way and not in God's way. This reminds me of the lesson that we learned when we looked at the life of Moses and Miriam and Aaron. Moses was willing for anyone to do the work. We also should be willing. Today, you see, within the church, you will look at others trying to scatter other people's work. Why? Because they want to be prominent. They want to be the dominant one. Especially, do you see this among ministers? They want to stop others who are doing the work just as themselves and claim that those people are illegitimate. Why will they do that? When the Lord is bringing so much victories. Those are the Jonathans who are going into the byways and the highways, preaching the word of God and bringing souls to Christ. And because they are doing it and it is not them who are getting the glory, what do they do? They will misrepresent. They will speak evil about such people. It is that same spirit of King Saul. Because it was not him that did the evangelism, therefore he doesn't care. He's ready to disfellowship Jonathan for one small issue that was not even an issue. He was ready to disfellowship Jonathan that he knew the Lord just did a mighty work through him. So also we see many independent and self-supporting ministries here and there doing a the work for the Lord. But then there are some people watching from afar just waiting to see one small mistake so that they will also ask them and, and, uh, and disfellowship or suspend them. And that is just what Saul did to Jonathan. Are you doing that? You just know that you are indulging the spirit of Saul who wants to attack Jonathan for the work that he was doing independently. Jonathan did not take permission from anybody. It was an individual effort. And that's a lesson we learn. That individual effort is also in line with the Word of God. Were it not to be for individual efforts, Luther would not have done what he did in the Reformation. Were it not to be for individual efforts? Philip the Evangelist would not have gone to baptize the utopian enoch wait not for that same individual effort paul the evangelist that self-supporting man we will not have those letters he wrote and the great work that was done through him would not have been done it's a reminder of the lessons we have learned before may the lord help us not to be like that like king saul who doesn't want to see others progress except it is through himself who would dispatch a walk except it was him that gave the permission for it or except it was him that gave the advice for it so that he can take the glory for it also the israelites now they are realizing that they made a huge mistake in selecting for themselves a king and choosing to neglect the lord's guidance through the prophet samuel now the thought was coming to their minds That they have done an evil thing in selecting for themselves a king. But what we need to understand is, this is what the Lord was saying from the beginning. He bears long with our waywardness and he grants us opportunity to see what we have done wrong. Remember, we have looked at that in previous devotions. The Lord knew that they were making a wrong decision, but he allowed them. Why? So that they can see their error for themselves. But they didn't reverse their decision. I think they should have reversed it and went uh, just as they requested for a king. They should have gone together and said, we don't want a king for ourselves anymore. Now that they have seen that it was not necessary. Because the only purpose for which they wanted a king was sought for deliverance purposes to save them from the Philistines. Now they appointed one and he could not save them for the Philistines. It was still another man, Jonathan, that saved them and he was not the king. So the purpose is defeated. Why continue in the course when you see that it has failed? They were supposed to go and say we don't need a king anymore. We, we've seen that our decision has failed but then they continued with it but we should learn the lesson We're going back to what happened before follow the Lord instead of insisting on your own opinion follow the Lord and when you have seen that your decision is wrong try as much as possible to reverse it if it is possible the only thing I know that one cannot reverse that I can think of right now is marriage apart from marriage if you see that you have done something wrong and you see that this is something that I'm reaping, I'm seeing the consequences of it. Just retrace your steps so that you can get the blessings of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have for today. And I pray that these lessons shall guide us on our way and make us even more purified and sanctified than we were before now. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, please cure us from envy, save us from this bad character of envy. Help us, Lord to be among those who shall be like Moses, who was willing for as many people to share of the same position that he had and the glory of the Lord. I pray, Father, that you deliver us. Help us, Lord, to have love in our hearts, that by love we shall show to others that we also care for them and that we will not, in our striving, go into self-exaltation, disparage others, misrepresent, falsify, tarnish their image. Forgive us for doing these things in the past and help us not to do it again. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.